So before we dive into the message today, I want to go ahead and open up in a word of prayer. We'll go ahead and I'll ask you guys to bow your heads. Dear Lord Jesus, uh, thank you that we can be here this morning, God. Lord, you know the heart of your people. You know my heart this morning. I ask and pray, Lord, that you would prepare the soil of the heart to receive the message and the word for your people, for us this morning as a church. God, we are excited to be here. God, in the days in which we live, I ask and pray that we would continue to remember the calling that you've placed upon our lives to go and to make disciples of all the nations. God, use this time. Holy Spirit, move in this place. We love you, Christ. We honor you. And this is all for your glory in your name. Amen. So the title of today's message is The Assignment. The Assignment. What is the assignment? As a Christ follower, we've all been given the assignment. And as a body of Christ, we want to understand and make sure that we're carrying on the assignment that has been given to us by God. What is the assignment? Jesus made it very clear in his message as he was meeting on the mountaintop with his disciples in Galilee prior to his ascension into heaven after his death on a cross and after his resurrection, he said, therefore go and make disciples of many nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This assignment is called the Great Commission. It was given by Jesus over 2,000 years ago. And the assignment that was given to the disciples at that time hasn't changed for us as a church. The same assignment is given to you and I as the body of Christ. We are his disciples. And we're called to go into a dark world and to make disciples and to extend the kingdom and to share the gospel and to share that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us so that we could be the recipients of the salvation that he has called us to. The assignment is the same, but the location of the assignment may be a little bit different. The platform may look a little bit different. The specific details of our assignments may also look a little bit different. The scope or the range of the assignment that's been given to us as a body of Christ and individually may be different, but the assignment in and of itself is exactly the same to go and to make disciples. This, uh, this morning, the, the two points that we really want to focus on this morning is what we do what the Lord has called us to do, what we carry out the assignment that he has called us to, and secondly, will we do it with the heart and with a mind that reflects the heart and the mind of Christ? Will we do it with the heart and a mind that reflects the heart, and the mind of Christ. This morning, we're going to be reading about a man named Jonah. Jonah was given an assignment from the Lord. He knew the location. He knew the details. He knew the scope. He knew the range of what the Lord had called him to. And we're also going to be getting insight into the heart and into the mind of the man named Jonah, the prophet from the Lord. Many of you know this story well because of Jonah's stay in the belly of the fish for the three-day period. That's an extremely important part of the story. That's an extremely part, important part of the storyline. And my prayer today is that God's Spirit would reveal to us the depth and the thoroughness of God's loving mercy and his kindness that he extended not just to Jonah, his prophet, but to the wicked people living in the nation in the city of, of Nineveh. 
And secondly, my prayer is that we as a church would extend the same type of mercy, the same type of loving kindness to a world that is lost. We're going to be uh, reading, if you have your Bible, we're going to be unpacking Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to be unpacking Jonah chapter 4, just the first three verses of that section. I'm going to go ahead, and again, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. I'm going to read this out loud, and then we'll be doing our unpacking of every verse as we go through this, and then talking about the application to the church. So if you have your Bibles, you can open those up to Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. I'll begin reading, and we're going to again finish on Jonah chapter 4, verse 3. In chapter 3, verse 1 reads, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. The response of the people of Nineveh, verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, that everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Verse 10. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 1, Jonah's response. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to live to die than to live. I want to provide some context. You don't need to turn there now, but I want to provide context that's leading us up to the unpacking of our third chapter in the book of Jonah. So in the beginning of the book of Jonah, chapter one, we, re- we find out who this man Jonah is. Jonah is a prophet. He's one who speaks on behalf of the Lord. Jonah, was, uh, Jonah lived in a small town several miles northeast of the city of Nazareth, the same city that Jesus grew up in. In the beginning of chapter 1, we read that the Lord calls out to Jonah, and he was called by God to go to the city of Nineveh, the city of the Assyrians, and to preach a specific message that was specifically for the people of that time. He was to cry out against it because the wickedness of the people of Nineveh had ascended and it actually had reached the Lord. He sees it all. He saw it all. Jonah decides to go 
against what the Lord has called him to do. He runs in the opposite direction of his assignment, and he hops on a boat to a place called Tarshish. And when he's on the boat sailing off into the sunset, away from what the Lord had called him to do, he runs into some serious issues. The Lord sends, in his loving kindness, the Lord sends a great wind into the path of that boat. The men of the, of the boat are getting rocked. They're in fear for their lives. They cast lots. Jonah is identified as the one responsible for the storm. And Jonah somehow convinces the men to throw him overboard into the ocean. Jonah is thrown overboard and the Lord sends a whale to swallow Jonah up or a big fish to swallow Jonah up. And at some point in time, between that three-day period in the belly of a whale, Jonah cries out to the Lord, and the Lord delivers Jonah. And the whale, is, uh, the whale delivers Jonah onto dry, onto dry ground. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time, and it's the same message that was initially given to Jonah, to go and to preach the message to the people of Nineveh. And this time, Jonah goes. So this is where we pick up. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. Again, we'll be starting in verses 1 through 2 and unpacking this as we go. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So think about this, church. Jonah is being granted a second chance to carry out what the Lord had initially called him to. The same mission, the same assignment that Jonah initially ran away from. The Lord could have let Jonah run away. The Lord didn't need Jonah to carry out what was to take place to the people in Nineveh. The Lord doesn't, didn't need him. The Lord could have used anybody. But in his loving kindness, the Lord knew that there was a work to be done within the people of Nineveh and also within the heart of his prophet. And it's incredible to think about how Jonah now, the recipient of God's mercy, is being called to extend the same type of mercy and the same type of loving kindness to an unbelieving, wicked, brutal people. Who lived in Nineveh? The Assyrians lived in Nineveh. The Assyrians at that time were a brutal, barbaric people. They were the people that their prisoners of war, they took the grotesque things to a whole new level and you never wanted to be on the receiving side of a, of a siege of the Assyrians or a prisoner of war of the Assyrians. They were brutal people, and they were a longtime enemy of the nation of Israel. We'll continue reading in verses 3 and 4. And again, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days... In Nineveh will be overthrown. So guys, picture this in your mind. Jonah was in the belly of a whale for a three-day period. I picture him, I could be completely wrong, looking like Beetlejuice with bleached hair and bleached skin. He was surrounded by stomach acid and bile, not to be too graphic, but this is where he was living for a three-day period. I think about Jonah walking literally into the lion's den as he's crying out and preaching a message to the people of Nineveh. And, Nineveh, and I'm sorry, and Jonah preaches one of the shortest sermons in the entire Old Testament, and it was only eight words in length. Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. He didn't pad the message. He didn't make it more palatable. He didn't make it more socially acceptable. He proclaimed the message exactly as the Lord had called him to proclaim it. And I believe today is a church 
We've always been called, but especially in the days today in which we live where it's not socially acceptable to speak the word of the Lord, sometimes it's an important thing for us to remember that we can be bold, we can be brave, we can be like Jonah and to preach and to teach and to share the word in its fullness. Jonah was warning the people of the coming destruction that, was taking, that would take place in Nineveh. How did the people of Nineveh respond to the message? We'll continue in verse 5 and 6. So the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. So we know that the greatest from the least of those took action. They responded to what Jonah was preaching in the streets of the city of Nineveh. Their actions defined their position. Their their actions defined their position. They humbled themselves and they repented. Even the king removed his his royal robes and laid them at the foot of his throne, and he covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth is a goat hide that's been turned inside out. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a petting zoo where you're petting a goat and you try to go against the flow of the actual hair, and it's prickly, it's uncomfortable. They're covering themselves in sackcloth, and it's a representation of a continuous, abrasive, uncomfortable feeling as the people were humbling themselves before the Lord. Fasting, sackcloth, and ashes were an outward expression of lamenting and mourning over the sinful condition of their, of their livelihood in hopes that the Lord would see, in hopes that the Lord would hear, and in hopes that the Lord would witness this act of repentance. Jonah chapter 3, verse 7 through 9 continues, And the king of Nineveh caused it to be proclaimed, and he published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything, and do not let them eat or drink any water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way, and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent, and turn away from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish? So we have an edict that's been given by the king, and the king says, it's not just the people that are to put themselves in a position of humility before the Lord, even the livestock, even the animals, they are going through, they're, they're being extremely thorough with what he's called them to do. And he said the people are to turn from the violence of their hands and from their wicked ways so that the Lord can turn away, he might turn away from pouring out his judgment over the wicked people in Nineveh. Let's read about the response of the people of Nineveh. Verse 10 reads, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. So the Lord, in his abundant mercy, withholds his wrath upon the city of Nineveh. The Lord saw the action of repentance. The Lord knows also the heart of man. Proverbs 21 verse 2 reads that every way of a man is right in his own own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. How does Jonah now respond to this radical, incredible display of God's mercy within the city of Nineveh upon the people of, of the Assyrians? Verse 1 says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly And he became angry. He wasn't just a little upset. He was infuriated. Jonah witnesses the mercy and the loving kindness 
The same loving mercy and kindness that he received being executed and poured out upon the wicked people of Nineveh. And this is something that we would most likely in the U.S. today call the Great Awakening. And he's frustrated. The book of Jonah tells us later that 120,000 people are saved from God's judgment. Let's continue reading about Jonah's response in verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord and said, My Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents from doing wrong. So this paints a picture in our minds of why Jonah initially fleed from the assignment that he was given from the Lord. Jonah knew the attributes of God. Jonah knew the attributes of God. Jonah knew that there could be a chance that the Lord would withhold his wrath from the people of of the Assyrian nation, of the people of Nineveh. And initially, he wanted nothing to do with that assignment. Verse 3 reads, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah was so angry and again so frustrated that the same type of love, the same type of mercy could be offered to the people of Nineveh that could have been offered to us. This, This portion of scripture convicted me greatly because I think what we're seeing in the world around us, sometimes in my own heart, in my own life, I feel, Lord, are are they really deserving of your mercy? Are they really deserving of your loving kindness, of your grace? And as I'm going through this study, the Lord did a work within my own heart, reminding me, yes, son, they are. The blood of Christ is all-encompassing. In this part of the scriptures, we're unpacking it, we also get insight into the level of compassion that Jonah had towards the people of Nineveh. The question in the application for us today as a church is how would we respond if we were in the position of Jonah at that time? Two questions I have, two additional questions I have for the church this morning, and these are meant to edify, to encourage, but also to challenge us, and not just sanctuary, but I'm talking about the church as a whole, the church corporately. What is our attitude today towards the lost, especially in these last days in which we live? What does our attitude look like towards the lost? We as a church, as a body of Christ, being called to the assignment to go and to make disciples, even when it may not seem fun, even when we feel like Jonah and we're going into the darkest places, whether it's our neighborhoods, our grocery stores, a workplace, wherever it may be, we as the church are called to extend the same mercy, the same type of mercy, the same type of loving kindness, the same grace that was extended towards Jonah and the people of Nineveh. We're called to extend that as a body of Christ to the lost. The second question today, are we focused as a church, and again, I mean this as a whole, as a body of Christ, to what the Lord has placed in front of us with the assignment that he's called us to as his church? From the global pandemic to global lockdowns to global natural disasters to global humanitarian crises, to global social, and the list is exhaustive. It's not just a few things. And within some of these things, we're seeing what was spoken about in the Gospel of Mark in 13, chapter 13, verse 8, that these things are called labor pangs, and we see it happening at a more frequent and with a more, more severe pace than we may have ever seen it happen before. There's more severity to the labor pangs. There's more frequency. And Satan will continue 
to attempt to use these things to dismantle us from the mission and the assignment that he has called us to, to go and to make disciples in a world that has rejected him. And why is this? Why is Satan so adamant about sowing division, fear, apathy towards other, discouragement? It's because he knows his time is short. He knows his time is short. But as a church today, what an honor it is that we have the ability to live in the days in which we live in, to be disciples for Christ and to do what the Lord has called us to do and to do it without backing down, to do it without backing away when the assignment gets tough. This church, I believe, is a testament to what that looks like. We see the fruit of that happening at Hope City. We see the fruit of that happening in our community. We see what's happening on the mountaintop in Forest Home. And what a reminder it is that far, time is far too valuable today as the, as the timepiece of, uh, or as the hourglass of time has been moving at such a rapid rate and the pieces of sand representing time have been moving and faster and faster and faster as we eagerly anticipate and wait for Christ to return for his bride. I believe the bride of Christ is doing a major preparation work in the heart of his church right now. I believe that the church as a whole, I believe that there is an inventory, a deep, thorough inventory check happening within the heart of the church right now where Christ is asking us what's important. And if we're holding on to things, I've been here within my own life where I've held on to things, whether it's an idol whether it's a career, whether it's material things, whatever it could be, and the Lord's saying, let go of that. Let go of the things of this world. They're all going to pass away and reach for the things of heaven. Don't let the things of this world pull you back. And to keep our eyes on the promises of what God has called us to and to see it through even when it's tough. If you're here this morning and this is your first time to sanctuary or listening online, and you're not a believer, you may be asking yourself the question, where do I fit in in all this? This message is specifically, you know, communicated for the church, but where do I fit in with all this? You may be asking yourself, I'm fearful of what I see happening in the world, whether it's with the things that we talked about, that list of things happening all over, and, I'm, and maybe the person's asking, I'm uncertain of my eternal destination. I don't know where I'm going to end up. I can say with confidence this morning that this time, today, right now, in this place, there's no better time than to receive Christ than right now. And asking him to rule and to reign within your heart, because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We see things in our world changing by the hour. We see prophecy being fulfilled before our very own eyes. We see what's happening in Israel. Time is moving so fast, church. And if you want to take that step today, I encourage you to do it. And we have pastors uh, that will meet with you after the service, and we would love to pray with you. I want to share the story of an assignment of a man named Jeremiah Lampier. This is a man who knew his assignment. He had a burden upon his heart for his community in New York and for the non-believing community in his area. Jeremiah was born in the U.S. in 1808. Jeremiah actually was part of the Dutch Reformed Church. It's a, a Christian denomination but in 1808, he grew up, he learned the trade of being a tailorsman, and then he got into business. And he had such a heart for the lost people within his area that he actually went through coaching and became a missionary. But the mission field was his neighborhood. 
And what's incredible is that he would preach to people, he would share, but the amount of converts that were receiving the message was extremely low, and Jeremiah got extremely discouraged. He went back, and I believe it was a divine idea. He received a divine idea from the Lord, and it was to take a piece of paper. And what he would do is he would take on this piece of paper, he would write, midday prayer meeting, 12 p.m., on your lunch break, come pray with us for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. We're meeting off in a small room off of Fulton Street, and he would hand these out to stockbrokers. He would hand these out to craftsmen. He handed them out to everyone who he could come in contact with. And so what happened is at that first prayer meeting, six people showed up. Six people showed up, and they began interceding for their neighborhoods. They began interceding on behalf of the nation. Shortly after that first prayer meeting, the entire stock market just crashed. This is in the year of 1857. The stock market's a disaster. And within two months, I'm sorry, within six months, there were over 10,000 people attending these lunchtime prayer meetings and the entire Broadway was packed out. All the theaters were packed out. There was overflow. I mean, it was out of hand. 10,000 people. Imagine what that would look like today on your lunch break, praying for five, 10 minutes, an hour. So what happens, which is incredible, is that when you think about what took place, you think about a crisis, you think about fervent prayer, and you think about a radical outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and this swept across the nation. Oh, it was said that over a million people came to faith in Christ at that time. And the fruit compounded. It didn't just stop there. D.L. Moody gave his heart to Christ at one of these prayer meetings, the evangelist. And D.L. Moody was responsible for bringing thousands to Christ. So what happens is you take a man with a burden who had an assignment that was to go to the people and to start praying. And he carried it through. He saw it through. And the lives of over a million people were rocked forever, to go and make disciples. When I think about that, it paints a perfect picture. So just like Jonah, the prophet, and just like Jeremiah, what some people would call the layman, we've been given as a church an assignment. And right now, sometimes it feels discouraging with the things that we're seeing happening around us. Sometimes we, we lose our endurance, we can lose our stamina. But Jonah had an assignment. And he had a period of time, 40 days before the Lord would rain down his wrath upon the people of Nineveh. And he finally aligned with what he was called to do. Church, what an exciting time it is to be the church. To be living in the days in which we're living and to go forth and to make disciples. And the exciting part about it, think about this. No one knows besides the Father when Christ will return for his church. There is so much hope so much expectancy for us as we eagerly await to hear the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the archangel crying out as Christ is returning for his church. Guys, we are close, and sometimes it may seem difficult, but I want to encourage you today. I want to edify you today. Let's remember and continue to carry out the assignment that Christ has called us to, to go and to make disciples. I'll close in a word of prayer, and then I'm, I'm going to invite Pastor Jim up for the communion. Dear Lord, I thank you for our time today. Jesus, I thank you for this church. Lord, I think about this church. I think about what you've done in and through this church and what an honor it is to be here and to be alive in the days in which we live, Lord. 
God, I ask and pray that you would continue to, sh- to forge us, continue to prepare us, God, so that when we see you face to face, Lord, your bride, God, we look into your eyes and we remember the promises of your word, Lord, and we're in heaven with you for all eternity. But until then, God, continue to give us a burden like you did for Jeremiah. Give us the ability to continue in the direction and the path that you have for us, Lord. We bless you. We honor you with our time. In your mighty, precious name, amen.